So we come in our uh, study of the Gospel of Luke to the Garden of Gethsemane on Thursday night. This evening opened when uh, Christ gathered the disciples in the upper room for the Passover celebration. And after 1,400 years of following this specific liturgical uh, group of words, Jesus changed it, and he turns it into what we think of now as the Last Supper, and that launches, that repositions the Passover meal for Christians into Holy Communion, which is where we're headed. That was followed by Judas slipping away. Jesus knows that he's going to be betrayed. He says as much to Judas, and Judas takes off. So he has to, Judas has already arranged to, to, to betray Jesus, but he now has to, uh, he has to go to the, the Roman authorities and lead them to where Jesus is staying. They don't want to arrest Jesus during the day when there's big crowds around him and they risk a riot. They want to know where he's staying, and so Judas goes away because he knows where they're staying. They're staying at the top of the Mount of Olives. Uh, and, and then we had, and we looked at this last week, there's some final words by Jesus in which essentially he says, uh, okay, it's game time. Uh, it's going to get really ugly really quickly. Uh, I'm going to die. You better be resilient. You're going to get knocked down. It's going to get hard now. Remember when it was easy? Yeah, easy is over. It's going to get hard going forward. And, uh, and, and then they leave that as they're approaching what Christ refers to as the hour of darkness. And it's not just physical darkness. Darkness is a big motif at the end of Luke. Of course, the sky will go dark when Jesus is betrayed. But, but there's a physical, spiritual darkness now that is going to descend. And uh, that is what is happening. We have a map uh, we can put up here. And so you see on the left side, you see the outlines of, the, of Jerusalem. It's, there's a wall that completely surrounds it. And towards the top on the east, you see the, the, the box there. That's the, the outline for the, the temple court. So Jesus and the disciples are going to leave out of a, a gate in the south, and they're going to walk uh, to their east. They're going to head towards the Mount of Olives. This is, again, where they're staying. So they don't have enough Hilton Honors points for everybody to stay in the hotel. And so, no, now there's no hotels back then, right? You stayed with somebody's house. Everybody is flooded into Jerusalem for the time of the Passover. There is no room. So they are camping out at the top of the Mount of Olives. They walk through the Kidron Valley. They come back up and they come to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is at the base of the Mount of Olives. I've been to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's full of all these really, really huge, old, gnarly olive trees. And it is a garden. And we've already noted the play on words here. Gethsemane is the Greek alliteration, transliteration of this Hebrew Aramaic term that means to be crushed. It's an olive crusher. (laughs) And Jesus is going to the Garden of Gethsemane where he is going to be crushed. And so uh, there's two things that we're, we're doing today as we come to this passage. And all the high control people need to hear this because we're doing something different and you're going to freak out because you're like, wait, what just happened? So I want to talk first pass uh, about what we learn about prayer from the prayer that Jesus prays. So he's going to, they get to the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, okay, guys, wait here. He takes Peter, James, and John with him. They go a little bit further. Then Jesus leaves them and he says, I'm going further still. Pray for me. 
right? This is the, we're approaching the hour of darkness. This is difficult. I need your support. Pray for me. And he heads, uh, he heads further out. What can we learn about prayer from the prayer that Jesus prays or from this? And then we're going to pray. I'm going to lead us in a, in a longer prayer than normal. Then we're going to sing another song and, and take the offering. And then, then I'm going to come back and we're going to look at the same passage again as set up for communion. Because there's, there's just a whole lot. You get towards the end and the real estate in Luke is really, really uh, important. Everything is going on. So I, wanna, I want us to see these two things. So... I am assuming that you have um, a working knowledge of prayer. Uh, It's worth noting the disciples do not ask Jesus to teach them how to lead or how to preach or how to walk on water or how to do a whole bunch of things. They do say, teach us how to pray. Right. They, so obviously they've been with him for three years. They understand there is some uh, power here. There's part of what makes Jesus unique and different is this intimacy that he enjoys with the Father in prayer. So they say, teach us how to pray. And we're fortunate in that in Scripture, we have a number of Christ's prayers. So there is, of course, the, the Lord's Prayer, sometimes called Our Father, which he taught them to pray. This is not really a prayer Jesus would pray, but it's the prayer he taught them to pray. In John chapter 17, we have what we call the high priestly prayer. It's not recorded in Luke. Uh, it, would, it would show up right about now, a little bit earlier, that Jesus had slipped away to pray for his disciples, and all those that will follow because of them, which is, in essence, of course, us as well. Praise that we would be on our assignment. Praise that we would love each other. Praise that uh, we will be unified. Right? So he prays for them. High priestly prayer in John 17. Uh, we also have this time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, again, most of you have, have you're at least conversant with the idea of prayer, right? God's primary means of communicating with us is scripture. Our primary means of communicating with God is through prayer. It's through sort of a focused, thoughtful uh, conversation with him. And uh, there are different kinds of prayer, right? Different aspects of prayer. The word acts is the one I keep repeating. Uh, it's, a, it's a good acrostic for us. The A is for adoration. We praise God for who he is, his holiness, power, omnipotence, omniscience. We then con- the C is for confession. We acknowledge our brokenness and our sinfulness. This is sort of the starting point for coming into his presence. We need to be repentant. Uh, T is for thanksgiving. We thank God for what he's done on our behalf. The S is for supplications or requests that we make known to God. So those are the, those are the aspects of prayer. Oh, I think almost everybody prays, even atheists. I talk with some of my atheist friends, and yeah, you know, you sort of start talking to somebody in a crisis, okay? So I think everybody prays. I think most all of us would agree that we could do a better job, right? That we would like our prayer life to be upgraded. So we're going to pray in a second. I want to I just highlight seven quick takeaways from the Garden of Gethsemane prayer. First of all, Jesus goes to God in a crisis. So when you're in a crisis, pray. Now, this is not the only time to pray, but 
when he is stressed, right, he turns to God in prayer for encouragement. Secondly, uh, he encourages us to pray so that we don't fall under temptation. That's what he says to the Peter, James, and John. Pray that you don't fall under temptation. So uh, it's, it's, part of, it's part of our weapon against evil. It's, it's part of the way we can build up some spiritual muscle is by praying. I also think uh, prayer is great in, in, in terms of facing temptation and times of weakness. So is memorized scripture. The extent that you have memorized God's word that can also be a heavy artillery when you find yourself uh, under temptation. Uh, a third thing that we notice is that prayer is hard. So uh, Jesus, Luke, Dr. Luke, will say that Jesus is sweating uh, big drops like blood. Uh, some people say Jesus is sweating blood and there's a medical condition when under extreme stress you can actually sort of burst some capillaries and, it can, and blood seeps out of your pores and it looks like you're sweating blood. Many would argue that's what happens here. I'd be in a camp that says, I think that the emphasis here is that, that the amount of sweat is so big. It's like, this isn't like normal sweating. This is like huge, this is like a, a wound, right? It's like blood is flowing out. It's hard work that we see Jesus doing here. And we also see that the disciples aren't up for the task. They keep falling asleep. Now, I want to say, on the one hand, prayer is not hard, right? People are saying, I don't know how to pray. Yes, yes, you do, right? A little child can pray. It's, it's, it's communication with God. So on the one hand, it's not hard. But on the other hand, it is a discipline. And we need to recognize the, the difficulty of prayer. Uh, number four. It's worth noting that Jesus asks others for their prayer support. So he says to Peter, James, and John, please, please pray for me. Okay? I don't think we do this very well. Everybody sort of puts on their game face and shows up. Nobody wants to come up after a service and ask somebody for prayer. It's, it, it, that, that's all sort of um, either a belief that prayer doesn't work or it's pride. Whatever it is, here is Jesus, the Son of God, asking others to pray for him, believing that that uh, is going to help. Uh, six, it's worth noting his posture. It says that he kneels down to pray. And we're sort of, okay, we're sort of used to that. But this is, this is new at this point. So in the first century, uh, Jews did not kneel to pray. In the Old Testament, we see the prophets would stand to pray, and their arms would be outstretched, they'd be looking up to heaven. That was this, and this is the, the same sort of thing that you see uh, in the airport in New York. If you're flying to Israel and you're in the LLRL uh, part of the airport where there's extra security, right? And there's a, there's a number of, uh, of, of Jewish people praying. You see them standing, looking up to heaven with their arms outreached. See this in Israel as well. That's the normal posture of prayer in the Old Testament and in the first century. Jesus here kneels, suggesting that there's just an incredible burden that he is feeling, and uh, but suggesting that perhaps posture helps. I tend to kneel in prayer in the morning, and it gets harder to kneel every day, but I, I, I find that it's, it's just helpful for me for an attitude and a mindset of submission and reverence. 
Other times during the day, I'm likely to be sitting or standing or taking a walk or something else. But we note that Jesus kneels. Um, Number six, it's worth noting that Jesus asks for what he wants. Okay? So some people never go past this. Some people's prayers sound like they're, you know, filing an order with Amazon Fulfillment Center. I want this, I want this, I want this. Uh, So other people sort of stop asking. And it's like, I just, I just, I just want to spend time with God. Great, except let's note, Jesus asks, right? Jesus makes clear what he wants. If it's possible, take this cup from me. (laughs) Cup means wrath, it means suffering, all of those things. If it's possible, I don't want to do this, right? So he is on record saying, this is what I want. And I want to encourage you, pray for what you want, right? Make it clear what you want. You're not telling God anything he doesn't know. But that very process of, of verbalizing what you want, at least I find it helpful because sometimes I go, wow, uh, I must be scared. Or wow, I am uh, being pretty shallow, right? I mean, even in asking for it, I'm like, yeah, no, I really don't want that uh, now that I think about it. And sometimes they do. Like, God, this is what I want. I want to be really clear. <laughs> this is what I want uh, for you to do. So Jesus makes his request known. And then uh, also note that he also yields. Right? He says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so there is this, this aspect of humility that we need to hold on to and say, God, what I really ultimately finally want is your will. And uh, I trust you. You are a good God. And uh, I want your will. And so I, I, I want... I want those seven things to guide us as we head into prayer. Now, let me say, this is, we're just scratching the surface on prayer, obviously. There's, there's, the whole book of Psalms is a book of prayers that Jesus prayed. There's a whole lot we could learn about prayer. I want to encourage you to take the prayer challenge that we are sending your way. There's a 10-day prayer challenge. If you normally get emails from me, then today at noon, you're going to get an email from me inviting you to sign up for a 10-day prayer challenge. You can do this. Every morning early, you'll get a, a little prayer to pray or coaching. Spend some time in silence. Spend 15 minutes in silence. Or fast today. I mean, these are, these are, or ask somebody today to pray for you. So there's 10 days, a small challenge each day. If you normally get an email from me, then you will get uh, an email at 12 o'clock. If you don't, you can go online, or you, as you see, you can text 10 day prayer to 22828, and you'll get a, uh, you'll get a text back saying, um, fill in your email and we'll send you this sign up. So, There's a lot of ways that we can learn and grow about prayer. I want to encourage that. But I also want us to spend some time today praying. So um, this is not a long time of prayer, but a longer time of prayer. So I want to invite you now um, to bow with me as we head into um, a time of reflection and prayer, most of which will come from uh, the Luke 22 passage. And we would note right away that Jesus um, 
first coaching to his disciples here is to pray not to fall into temptation. And so I want us to start in an attitude of uh, confession and repentance and humility. Uh, David models this so well for us in Psalm 51, uh, his prayer of confession. He concedes that he's a sinner. He concedes that, uh, that he's made a mess of things. And so I want us to start there. I want to suggest that just silently you meditate on this classic, ancient prayer of humility. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want to let you sit with that for 30 seconds. Each of the four parts of that are worth pondering and reflecting. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I invite you now to join with me as corporately we confess our sins with the words on the screen. Heavenly Father, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts, with our neighbors as ourselves. We are often so wrapped up in things that do not really matter that we have taken little note of the opportunities around us to be your hands and feet. Forgive us. Amen. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, I want to assure you of the love and grace of God. As John writes, when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We come before God in confession and then we move out with the righteousness of Christ. Take heart the love and mercy of God. Now, I want to encourage you to come before God with your needs. Jesus told God what he wanted. He asked for the Father to take the cup from him. I want to invite you now to pray that the Lord would move in areas where you're looking for help. Confess your desire. Lord, I, I, I need a job. Lord, I I. I need help to overcome this setback. Lord, you know I want to beat back this cancer. Be honest with the Father about the hardships you're facing, the opportunities that you want uh, to come together. Take a moment now before God to honestly and boldly express your hopes. After praying for his 
uh, his desires, the Lord Jesus Christ yielded and um, asked for God's will. So let's submit our plans to his. Let's pray that God's will would be done in our lives, in our home, our church, and in our city. Lord God, we yield to you. We want your will to be done. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know that's best. I now want to pray for those of you who are hurting today, who need hope, who need a break, who need a breakthrough, who need a job, who are lonely. I want to pray for those of you who had to put your game face on this morning to show up. You're acting as though things are under control, but they're not. Lord God, I want to pray for those that are hurting, looking for a sense of your love and peace and some energy to face this next week. Please meet with them, encourage them, strengthen them, minister to them in ways, Spirit of God, that only you can do. Father, I want to pray for this church. May we know your will and be bold to lean into it. May we be a group of men and women who yield uh, our lives and seek to carry out your plan. May we be gracious with others. May we be bold in sharing our faith. May we be the kind of outpost of heaven the church is supposed to be. Father, I want to pray for our mission partners in India and Ghana and, and Turkey and other parts of the world. I want to pray for our local partners, NCCP and Love Inc. and PADS and Matthew Homes, the Job Initiative. I want to pray for other churches in the area. Father, those churches that will join us tonight for this celebration of baptism, may you look with favor upon them, strengthen them. Heavenly Father, we pray for our country, for our leaders, starting with our president and his cabinet and including members of the House and, and the Senate and the judiciary. I want to pray for those that are leading, uh, not just in D.C., but in Springfield. Pray for wisdom. Pray for uh, service. Pray that you would support them. Pray that you would help them lead in ways that help hold things together. I want to pray that we would be citizens that are, are working to promote the common good and are looking for ways to, to promote justice and to care for the weak and the oppressed. Father, we want to pray for peace around the globe. Pray for those that are leading on the world stage. Pray for those that are, that are trying to do the right thing in hard places full of chaos and corruption and, and strife. Father God, we are looking for your will to be done. We want a world that works. Help us to be part of that. And now I want to invite you to join with me as we pray together the prayer that Christ taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
So we return uh, to Luke 22, verses 36 and following for round two. This is the sort of sometimes thought of as the battle before the battle. This is the big conquest. And what we find is that Jesus is in anguish. Uh, Terms are used to describe the agony of Jesus here that are not used anywhere else, including on the cross. So he is being crushed. He, He reports... Uh, that he needs help. And the question becomes, what exactly is going on during this time? Um, he is, he is sweating, as I said, uh, sweating so profusely, it's like drops of blood. Uh, what is happening? Question one, is he surprised? Is he suddenly taken aback at how everything is beginning to go wrong? He knows he's about to be betrayed. Right, he's already said, Judas, go do what you're going to do. He's, he's announced that Peter is going to betray him. Is he surprised that he's going to see uh, things unravel and he's going to die? No. no, no, no. He's been saying this all along. Right? He has said, he has said, 15 chapters ago, I am headed to Jerusalem. It is necessary for the Son of Man to suffer and die in Jerusalem, right? I am going to Jerusalem to die. On Thursday night, he has said, uh, earlier that night, he has said, look, I am the, I am the Passover lamb. The, the, the bread represents my body, which is given for you. Uh, so he, all throughout, all the prophecies we find in the Old Testament are all pointing to Jesus' suffering. The suffering and death that he's about to face it does not surprise him. Well, is he scared about what's going to happen? I, mean, I'm, I, I would be scared. Crucifixion is a horrible way to die. It's a slow, agonizing, painful, public, humiliating way to die. The Romans would not allow any Roman citizen to be crucified. It was, it was too undignified. So is he, is he scared of what's going to happen? No, uh, I, I think that would be very out of character for Jesus. I mean, it would be, it would be disconcerting to us as well if he was scared. I mean, there are, there are people that face death with bravery. There are other Christians that are going to face death with great bravery. Uh, but it's, it would be very out of character with Jesus. When the, when the storm is raging and everybody, all the disciples are panicking, right, he's asleep. When, when, in the face of demonic activity, right, he doesn't blink. Uh, people are threatening his life all the time, and he, he just, he never seems to be, uh, he never seems to hit the panic button. So I don't believe that Jesus is scared of what's happening. Well, is he, uh, is he feeling lonely all of a sudden? Because after all, those closest to him, Peter, James, and John, are sort of, uh, they keep falling asleep. He's asking for help. He's not getting it. Is he start, just suddenly feeling like, okay, you know, this is all coming down to me. I'm, all, I'm by myself here. Uh, well, I, I want to acknowledge that uh, the fact that Peter, James, and John um, sort of fail at this moment can't help. Because right? they are arguably as close to Jesus as any uh, as any other people are at this moment. And, and that matters, right? I mean, if somebody comes up after the service and says, look, yeah, I wonder if I've never been here before, but wow, this did not work for me. I'm never coming back. Okay, uh, whatever. I don't like hearing that, but you know, I've, trust me, I've heard worse. So uh, if somebody sends an email on Monday morning and says, okay, yeah, now I get it. Two sermons. Yeah, yeah, I see where you're going. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I was, I've been at Christ Church for 10 years, but I'm not coming back. Okay, well, that's going to hurt a little bit more. If this afternoon Sherry says, right, 
I followed you from Georgia to Chicago and from Chicago to Washington and then back to Chicago. And I've been, you know, we've been together for 30 years. I've been to these services for 30 years. I'm done, uh, right? I'm out. I'm never going back to that church again. That would really hurt. So there is a sense in which Peter, James, and John sort of falling down at this last critical moment is not insignificant. But I don't think Jesus was looking to these guys for moral uh, and spiritual strength in a time of crisis, right? He knew, he knew who they were. Now, I think what's going on here is something that you may not have thought of before. If you read all four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because they all report on this, and you, you study them carefully, one of the things that, that you see is that Jesus grows more animated and frustrated over time. As opposed to going to God the Father and, and calming down and finding some sense of peace and comfort, he seems to find less and less. And, and the words that are used here to describe him are that he's shocked at what's happening. And I think that what is happening is that he is discovering that the Father is turning his back on him. Right? I mean, that's what has to happen at this point. So, Jesus is becoming sin, right? Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. So the Father is just, holy, righteous. Habakkuk 1.13 says he cannot look on sin. He cannot look on sin, right? And, and so, so as Jesus becomes sin, right, the Father turns his back away. And, and he, he goes for this final Stop this final check-in, right? Before it all happens, I'm about to be arrested, I'm about to be beaten, I'm about to be crucified, I'm about to die, and he's looking for this time of encouragement, and I think what he discovers is it's, it, that, that this eternal friendship that he has enjoyed, this perfect, loving relationship, is going away. William Blaine, a Bible commentator, says the dreadful sorrow and anxiety of Jesus was not from um, shrinking from the prospect of suffering and death. It was rather the horror of one who had loved, who had lived wholly for the Father and who came to be with the Father for a brief interlude before his betrayal, found hell rather than heaven opening before him. As we come to communion, um, and I want to invite those that are going to serve the communion elements to come forward now. As we come to communion, I want to be certain you understand what plays out at this moment. I'm not certain everybody has always connected the dots. And when the dots get connected, sometimes people react and like, whoa, I don't like the sound of that. It's, some would say, cosmic child abuse. Here's what happens. Jesus faces the wrath of God the Father against sin, right? It is the wrath of the Father that he is going to bear. So he drinks of the cup. He says, if possible, let this cup pass away. We see the cup referenced in Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and Revelation and other places. The cup represents the wrath of a just, holy, righteous God against sin. God forgives sinners, but God cannot forgive sin. <laughs> sin has to be paid for. Sin has to be atoned for. Somebody has to pay the debt. 
Hey, if I, if I come over to your house, you invite me over to your house, and I break something, right? I'll be embarrassed, you'll be embarrassed, and you'll say, oh, don't worry about it, it was nothing, it didn't work, we didn't like it, we were going to get rid of it, right? You know, and I'll say, no, 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 I need, to, I need to pay for it, I need to buy it, I need to get you another one. You'll go, no, 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 don't think about it. The fact of the matter is, somebody has to pay. It's, it's gone, right? So maybe you don't go buy another one, but there is a, there is a penalty, there is a payment, there is a debt that has to be absorbed by somebody. So God the Father has to atone for sin. He is just and holy and righteous. What happens in the context of the Trinity is that God is, is not only just, but is also loving, pays the penalty himself. And it works out in the triune Godhead that God the Father will be just and loving, but God the Son will pay the debt. He makes him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might obtain the righteousness of Christ. The penalty will be paid. It is paid by Jesus. Two other things to see here. One, Given a choice between being the father or son, I think if you think about it, you'd rather be the son, right? Can you imagine? I mean, it's one thing, the pain of Jesus, to go looking to his father in this time of crisis for help (laughs) and to find that the father isn't there. But can you imagine being the father and saying, in this time of crisis, I'm going to turn my back on you. I mean, it's just unthinkable, right? A a parent would say, no, I would be scorned by my kid a thousand times before I would scorn them like that. And in their moment of greatest need, to deliberately turn my back and to pour out my wrath on them. I mean, it's just unthinkable. And then here's the, the one other piece of this, and this is particularly appropriate at Lent. This is because of us. Right. That's what Lent is about. During these 40 days between Ash Wednesday and, and uh, Resurrection Sunday, we are to be particularly mindful that it's my sin that Christ has to die for. Right? That it's my moral debt that he has to pay. And, and so we come to this table to celebrate again Right, that God the Son took on our wrath. He died in our place. We are declaring that. We are proclaiming that, and we are we are we, we ought to just be marveling right? that that is God's plan. That the Triune God would arrange for our moral debt to be paid at their great expense. So let me pray for us, and we will come to this table. Heavenly Father, meet with us now. The, the, the whole agony and suffering of Christ is beyond our ability to comprehend. Lord Jesus, we thank you for accepting uh, this assignment of dying and the agony and the loneliness, the Father turning his back away. We, 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 we can't imagine. Thank you for doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Heavenly Father, we can't imagine the pain of a father uh, in this process. And yet your love uh, for us was so great that you would take on that pain for us. Spirit of God, meet with us now as we uh, enter into this time of reflection and prepare to come to this table in Christ's name.